Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Our granddaughter, I love having a granddaughter because now I have new, fresh sermon illustrations, and that's always wonderful. And, uh, but our granddaughter, she loves dinosaurs, and uh, she wants to watch all of the, she wants to, whoa, I didn't know that picture was coming up. You guys surprised me. All right. And uh, yeah, she loves dinosaurs so much. Good call, buddy. All right. You could have warned me. I thought they were laughing at me. Okay, so... Anyway, so she loves dinosaurs so much that she'll dress up as dinosaurs. We got these little songs that she, pop, pop, play the dinosaur song, and, and she'll run around with the little short arms and the pterodactyl and all the different things, and, and she likes the Tyrannosaurus, and, um, and, and, um, and, but when you look at the Tyrannosaurus, doesn't it kind of look a little bit like, kind of like something went wrong, Right? I mean, it's like, God, what happened? Like, did you get tired on his arms or what? Like, you, you know, what's going on? It's almost like Mr. Potato Head that had been put together with the wrong pieces. Would anybody agree with him? I mean, look at these massive legs, a huge head and mouth, and just these little tiny. I mean, he couldn't even hold a whopper. How many know what I'm saying, right? Uh, and uh, like, it's almost like a mean trick to have this powerful body only to be given these tiny arms. And, but the reality is I actually studied up on this because I was just curious. Plus, I wanted to be able to answer all those questions when Kennedy says, why? 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 Because that's what God did, Kenny. I don't know why else. Uh, but anyway, it's interesting. And, and some that believe in evolution and some that believe in creation, they agree on whether how we got there is different, but they agree on the fact that perhaps a Tyrannosaurus has small arms because it has such a powerful mouth and it's eating its prey that it didn't want to get its hands in the way. It would chomp its own hands. Now, we won't have a show of hands, but I bet you some of you have done that when you're eating your fries. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, and so that's the whole idea. And here's another side note. You might be a preacher if everything you see becomes a sermon illustration. How many know what I'm saying, right? That's better than a redneck. Anyway, however, I brought this up, and I want you to see that picture because this is a picture of what I don't want the church to look like. And believe it or not, this is actually what Paul starts talking about as we turn the corner. Remember, the first three chapters were all about the benefits we get. The next three chapters begin to turn the corner of if we're in the church and we are the church, then we have a responsibility. You say, Ken, what in the world? How does that, how are you afraid of that looking like the church? Well, let me tell you, I'm always fearful that the church that I'm a part of, I can't control the capital C church, but we can give direction and leadership to our little C church right here in our valley. And I want to make sure that we're not a church that has a powerful mouth. Oh, see you guys next Sunday. All right. <laughs> right? Come on. I want to make sure that we don't have this powerful voice and we have small hands. That, that, that we're not just a preaching station where we do a lot of rhetoric and a lot of talking and a lot of praise Jesus, but we don't do anything. In, in other words, big on words and little on action. Come on, everybody. 
Those of you that like tattoos, go get a Tyrannosaurus tattooed right on your chest so you remember this every day. No, that's sleep deprivation saying that. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. All right. Well, let me, before we go to Ephesians, let me bring this very obscure, kind of weird verse out. And, and really, it's Jesus teaching on the Sabbath, but right in the middle of it, he does this kind of this sermon illustration. And uh, while he does, hey, could I get one of my ushers to help my buddy? He looks like he's looking for a seat, all right? And uh, so Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 9, here's what it says in Matthew 12, 9. And it says, and a man with a shriveled hand. Now hold that thought real quick, because I'm talking about what the church should and shouldn't be, and, and here Jesus is doing this teaching on the Sabbath, he, and he picks this one guy out of the crowd that has this shriveled hand. It's literally a hand that's paralyzed. Some say, uh, uh, some scholars believe, or historians rather, believe it was like this claw hand like that didn't work. Some believe it was just paralyzed and just had no muscle action in it, but regardless, I want you to pay attention to that. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, Matthew number 12, if you go look for it, this is just one minor little piece of a bigger teaching that's going on because Matthew 12 is Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath. But there's this subplot, and it's not the focus of attention, but here comes this guy with his shriveled hand, and he begins to, he gets to be the beneficiary of an illustrated sermon, you know? And, and they're, they're accusing Jesus of healing on the Sabbath, and Jesus is kind of like, okay, watch this. And, and, and he heals this guy's hand. And, and imagine, but here's the part I want you to see. I want you to imagine this guy who gets like one line in all the verses. We don't know his name. We don't know what he goes on to do after he gets healed. But imagine before the miracle, he was a beggar. He he didn't have any power, at least in one hand. Jesus heals him, and it restores the power of what a hand is meant to do to grip, to carry, to have strength. And, and, and just for a minute, imagine how much more productive this guy was. Come on, can you think about that? Whether you have a manual job or you sit at a computer or you write or whatever, imagine you have one hand that's paralyzed and now Jesus heals it and he has restored this guy's hope, restored his strength. I'm going somewhere with that. Because what I'm praying is I want God to heal and restore the church's withered hand. I'm going to connect these dots in just a minute. I know it sounds like I'm rabbit trailing. You see, the church too often has become a preaching station with a powerful voice. Boy, we'll picket things. We'll talk about what we're against. We'll talk about what we're for. We'll proclaim the message of Jesus, and we got this loud voice and big platforms, and maybe sometimes, like the guy in the crowd, a shriveled hand, shriveled works, not all that it should be. Now, again, Paul gets very pastoral right here, and this message is about really the function and the structure of the church. So give me a little grace on this and listen with those kind of ears, because we have to recognize 
that healthy things grow, right, everybody? And so we need to focus on being healthy followers and a healthy church if we're going to be a life-giving church. Come on, are you guys with me out there? All right, so Paul turns a major corner right here and starts really building structure into this organization, if you would, called the church. And here's what he says, starting in verse number 11 of Ephesians chapter number 4. Here we go. It says, so Christ himself gave, and these are the four or the five things we're going to focus on today. Now remember, there's two institutions that God instituted, that's marriage and the church. And Jesus came along and said, uh, 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 upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So then if God institutes something, then he regulates what he institutes. So he regulates, in other words, he gives a list of here's how you do marriage, and he also gives a list of, okay, here's how you do church, church, all right? And, and, and here's some of the things I'm giving to the church to help the church on its mission. Now, I'm going to break these down and contextualize them into modern-day kind of language so that we understand them. But he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Did you catch that? Five of them. Five. Five make a hand. Right, everyone? And these are called, uh, if you went through theology classes or you learned the mission of the church, we would call these the five-fold ministry gifts to the church. So here's five things that God gave to the church, not so that it would be shriveled or weak, not so that it would have a louder voice, but that it would have a lot of action. I mean, no, we live in a time where people are tired of hearing God loves them and would really like to see that God loves them. And so we become his hands and feet to show off what God does through the organization called the church. Hello, everybody? Right? And so here's what it goes on to say. Now, here's why he gave these things. Ah, this this is where you're going to really love. Come on. He says, to equip his people. Are there any of his people in the house? So he gave these five things to equip all of us called the church. And, um, and, and, and watch this, for the works of service. Oh, no amens on that one. All right. <laughs> for the works of service. In other words, he gave these five tools, if you would, to work on the church so that we could do works of service. Rochelle just talked about it on her introduction video. And uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, the stronger that we become, the more that we do together, the stronger the body of Christ becomes. Are you hearing that? And so, uh, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure. Oh, man, there's so much there. And the full of the fullness of Christ. Watch this, verse number 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by every political wave, by every pandemic wave, by every spiritual fad wave. By every new prophet that moves into town. Come on, everybody, right? Uh, so that we will no longer... See, w- he's giving tools and instructions so that we would be built up, so that we wouldn't fall down every time the wind blows. 
And he, and he says, the way, one of the ways that we keep from falling down every time the wind blows is by being united together because when we're together, come on, the wind can blow, but we are family. Hey, all right, you got it? Okay. So, again, sleep deprivation. All right. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Wow! There's a whole lot there, and I'm only going to skim it, all right? You see, without these fivefold ministry gifts, we look like the guy in the crowd with the shriveled hand. Better than that, we look like a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> the, the shriveled hand. Or watch this, I would call it the dysfunctional church. So I want, I, I want to talk a little bit about what prevents us from being dysfunctional or a dysfunctional church. Come on, everybody knows this because how many of you know that just because the name God is on the outside of church buildings does not mean that God is being represented inside of the church building. And, and just because there's a cross in the front lawn doesn't mean that the church is really functional or open. Come on, are you guys there, right? So dysfunction. Uh, these five things keep us from being dysfunctional or shriveled or paralyzed or dysfunction. The word dysfunction to work with, dysfunction means uh, deviating from its normal behavior. So God has a plan of how the church is supposed to operate, and so he gives these five-fold ministry gifts to the church so that we can operate the way that he intended for the church to operate. And by the way, let me throw this in here. God, Jesus is not here in the flesh anymore, right, everybody? We're on that same page, right? And uh, I know I have a pastor buddy who uh, a guy came to church dressed as Jesus, and he introduced himself as Jesus to the pastor. There's a change, right? <laughs> and uh, so, but, but Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. So watch this. So the church is supposed to be the skin, come on, of God. The church should be the place that God shows up and shows off. Come on, I'm going to get you yet. The church ought to be the place that shows the best grace. The church ought to be the place that receives the, best, the, the worst people. Come on now. The church ought to be the place that demonstrates the nature and the character of God. And Paul is saying without these five gifts, we will never be, we will never represent who God wants us to be, right? In fact, yesterday we were traveling and uh, we went through Detroit yesterday. We stopped to have lunch and we were in a park um, there in a Detroit suburb. And, and Patty says to me, look at over there. And across the way in the park were these Christians with big signs picketing, and, and turn or burn, heaven or hell, megaphones, just yelling at people as they're walking by. I seen this dude all tatted up going to get on his Harley, and they were just lambasting him, letting him have, I wanted to go over and say, I'm sorry, sir, we didn't mean it, <laughs> right? And I mean, they, and their sign said, not allowed into heaven, sex freaks and liars and all kind of crazy things. And I thought, man, I just want to go over there and say, if anybody's a freak, you guys are. Because you're not representing the church of Jesus Christ. And the church is supposed to be, if you would, the flesh of God, the, the character of God demonstrated. And these five are gifts to the church to make us strong, 
to unify us. Watch this. If I could, if I could, there's five fingers on the hand that make the hand strong. There, there, there's, there's, there's five-fold ministry gifts. It's interesting in Scripture that five is the number of grace also. Without grace, come on, we're not strong as we should be, right? And um, so let's, let's just begin our journey because God said, I'm giving you these five gifts. And, and, but we could read that portion of Scripture and think, oh, that's old church language. And it kind of is. We don't go around using the terminology apostle anymore. Uh, some churches do, but we don't walk around calling each other apostle. Hello, Apostle Tim. Glad you're here today. I mean, you know, that would just seem a little weird, right? So watch this. When I talk about these, all of these had an office in the church, but I'm not talking about a person right now. I'm talking about the gift. If I could use a churchy term, come on, follow me here. I'm talking about a gift for the church. Uh, uh, I'm talking about, if you would, uh, if you would it'd be like an anointing for the church. It, it's something that's more felt right, than it is seen. We, we don't use these titles. I've been to churches, I've preached in churches where they have these titles for everybody. Hello, evangelist so-and-so, and hello, prophet so-and-so. I'm not talking about the person. I'm talking about the office that ought to be operating in a healthy church. You guys with me? To keep us from being the shriveled hand or the Tyrannosaurus, okay? So let's look at the first one. The first one is the apostle. He says, I gave apostles. Now, without the apostle, without this role, we become a fatherless church. And if we're a fatherless church, it it, it takes away some of our strength. Right, everybody? Right? Come on, if you start chopping fingers off, how many know with every finger that leaves, you're losing a little bit more strength, right? Come on, let me demonstrate that to somebody. Come on up, all right? No. Okay, So, so, so let me contextualize what an apostle is in our day. So in that day, the person, the apostle, was those that were with Jesus, that seen Jesus. Uh, And then, of course, Paul did not, he wasn't with Jesus, but he did see him at his conversion. But apostles are also those that started churches in the early church days. And so you you, got to try to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean for us 2,000 years later? Because nobody's seen Jesus in the flesh. Well, the apostles were those that planted, or watch this, fathered churches and set up the structure in a church so that there were guidelines in the church, which is the role of a father. How many know we need the role or the gift of a father in the house? Again, it's not a person we point to. It's an atmosphere or an anointing that's here. Come on, are you guys following me? Maybe just me and my pastor buddies get off on this kind of stuff, all right? And and so it, it, it seems as though the biggest reason that many fall away, even in our natural world, is the lack of fathering. I think the reason that many fall away from the church is because there's a lack of apostleship or there's a lack of fathering in the house. Remember, re- remember God, told, uh, God gave the garden to Adam and Adam became the father of the garden or the father of his house. He was supposed to have dominion and have authority and name things names and tell things what could come in and snake, you should have never come into this house. Uh, he, he's the father. And, and, and so 
the same thing works in the church. And there's this lack of fathering. And we got to be careful that we're not just a show on Sunday and we don't have the anointing of an apostle or the gift of a father in the house that's helping mentor people and placing identity on people. Come on. We live in a generation that has been over-mothered and under-fathered and it shows up when we come to church and somebody wants to be our dad or our spiritual father. We can get bent out of shape if we're not used to having a father voice in our life. Come on, let, let me show you how this looks because I don't know if you follow me. See, because we, we have a generation right now that has been overmothered and underfathered, here's what that means. We get used to the voice of a mother in our life, but we usually push back on the voice of a father in our life because it's foreign. See, the mother's voice is the loving voice. The nurturing voice. I fell off my bicycle. Oh, come on, mama's little boy. It's going to be all right. Get back on that bicycle and do it again. I love you so much. Okay, mom. You know, right? You bring home this scribble junk and, oh, let mama hang that on the refrigerator. And you feel proud. And mama's always there encouraging, right? That's the voice of a mother. But the father, it's not that he's not loving and he's not encouraging, but his role uh, would be a little bit more like, no, here's what happens in this house and here's what doesn't happen in this house, right? And and he would probably come along and say, well, if you wouldn't have leaned to your left, you would have never fallen off the bike, you know, all right? Okay, so what I'm getting at is, see, because we've been over-mothered and under-fathered, we'll come to church and love the mothering side of church. We'll love the, it's okay that you messed up and fell off your bike and had five affairs this week. It's okay. Come on in. Let's start all over, right? Now, I'm being facetious to make a point, but somebody needs to step into our life and say, quit going to those places and doing those things. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) And, and, and father wounds are prevalent in our society, and it's interesting because even Jesus needed the voice of his father to affirm him and to release him into his identity. And so there must be an anointing of a father or an apostle in the church to help those that attend that church be guided into their identity, their spiritual gifts, their personality gifts, what you're good at, what God made you for, your or purpose, all of those things to keep us from just showing up on Sunday and sitting in a black chair, but some anointing in the church to be able to come along and say, do these things and help you find your identity in Christ. Come on, are you guys hearing that today? Which is one of the reasons that we do uh, next steps and we help people understand their spiritual giftings and all of those kind of things. So uh, father wounds, let me just, since it's Father's Day, let me dive a little deeper into this part of it. So father wounds often result from fathers. I'm not going to exhaust this. I just want to show you what we're dealing with as a church in today's society with people coming with father wounds. And father wounds aren't limited to those that had a father that left. Father wounds are prevalent, not just for boys, but also for girls. Father wounds can show up when you're 30, Father wounds can show up when you're 40 and 50 and still show up when you're 60. Hello, are you guys there? And and I know you don't have any, but you know somebody that has some, right? And, And so father wounds all come up here because the enemy has worked really hard to destroy the the family, the organization of the family, so we have a distorted perception of our heavenly father. 
And so we come with father wounds. Watch this. There's the, I'll, I'll just throw out a few. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out the ones that all start with the same letter. How's that, everybody? All right? And so there's the absent father. And we can have father wounds because of absent fathers. Uh, they were either absent physically, were never there, uh, n- never. I've met people, guys that never knew their dads. Uh, but it's not just physically absent. You can also be physically present and, and sitting in a lazy boy chair, but emotionally absent. Or, or you can be uh, uh, spiritually absent. Uh, the, the, th- this father may put his work first, and he's not there to help identify what the child is good and not good at. Now, equate that into the church. See, we can have gatherings all the time, but there ought to be the gift in the church that is saying, Matt, I think you would be great at, and seeing if that doesn't, seeing if you're not plugged into other arenas of the big gathering so that I can help, whether that's through a life group, whether that's through a pastor, whether that's through a coach or a brother in the church, that someone is helping me identify who I am and what God has created me to be. That ought to be relevant in the church, and a life-giving church ought to provide that opportunity. Come on. Are you, are you hearing that? Okay. So, um, and so many in the physical realm, in the biological, natural family, they are left wondering, who am I? And what am I good at? And how am I going to function in this world? And, and, but the same thing is true by those that come to church often. They'll come to church, and we'll sit in church, and, and, and we'll hear a good sermon, but at the end of the day, we start wondering the same thing. Who am I? What am I good at? Why am I sitting in a black chair? What am I supposed to be doing? And so there has to be an apostle anointing in the church, okay? Because we, uh, if we're not careful, just like in life, we'll look for affirmation in all kind of different venues, We'll look through our affirmation. If we didn't get it through our father, we'll look through affirmation by how big our biceps are. We'll look for affirmation by how big our bank accounts are. We'll look for affirmation by how many men or women that we've been with. We'll look for affirmation by our accomplishments, by our relationships, by our achievements, and all of those things uh, with absent wounds. We also have the anonymous father. The anonymous father is the father. This dad is there. He's breathing, he's taking up air in the house, but he's passive. By the way, guys, you can have a conservative personality, but God has not called us to be passive and let the snake come in the house. All right, I'm going to say that again. Father's Day, you can be conservative and you don't have to be a loud D-A personality, but we should not be passive because somebody needs to be the lion of the house and stand at the door of the house and say, this thing and this knuckle dragger can't come into this house. It's the anointing of a father, okay? And, um, and, and, and the problem with the anonymous father, he's there, but he's really not there, and, and that creates a whole different set of wounds. There's there's never any conversation. There's never any blessing. There's never any affirmation. There's never anything flowing from his mouth. And the kids literally sit at his feet waiting for dad to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at. Just as that ought to happen in the natural world, it ought to happen in the spiritual church. That's why he gave apostles. Uh, 
Are you hearing that today? Okay, so it's no voice, there's no love, there's no that. Okay, you, you can come to churches and all it is is information transfer. You, you see what I'm saying? But there's no real, man, bro, I believe in you. I think you can, that kind of thing, all right? There's no real empowering to be involved. Okay, uh, or, or how about, I'll do one more, the abusive father. We come with uh, wounds from having abusive fathers. I won't dive too deep into this because sometimes I get on nerves that I probably shouldn't. But it's the father that could be verbally abusive. Many of you have expressed some of your stories to me on this. There's those that can be physically abusive. There's many stories here. I grew up with a drunk dad and, you know, those kind. And God forbid there's even those fathers uh, that have been sexually abusive. Um, and, and, and maybe he didn't do it, but he allowed it to happen, okay, because he was anonymous or he was passive or whatever. Okay, so what does that look like today? Um, uh, we have to make sure as a church we're not only a place that we gather to high-five and encourage, come on, and say, you can do it. And where you're at is not where you have to stay. And I know you fell down this week, but get back up. God still loves you. We ought to be that place, right? But we ought to also be the place that says, nah, not in this house. That's not happening here. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason we have security, because some things just ain't happening here. Hello? There's some doctrine that is just not going to happen here. There's some speakers that will never step on this stage. There's some church trends that are happening that will never happen here because there has to be an apostle that says, no, 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 no. See, that's what Paul was doing. All the letters that we have now, Paul was being a father, and he's writing to Timothy, his son, and saying, don't let that happen over there in that church. That's not good for God's people, and you better make sure you teach them about. That's what Paul's doing. He's being a father. Come on, you want to be a part of a church that is allowing the five-fold ministry gifts to operate in our presence. Come on and say a good amen to that, all right? It's all, about, it's all about church structure, and I know this bores people, so I won't get into this, but I want you to know you're attending a church that has great church structure, great church government, great church accountability, great church financial responsibility and financial resp- uh, uh, accountability. And uh, it's one of the reasons we put so much emphasis on next steps, so you know about those things. It's another reason that we put so much emphasis on men's ministry and gathering and table leads and, and Devin, your cookouts on Friday night. Come on, brother. And, uh, and all of those things because we come broken all at different levels, all at different stages. Right, everyone? So Paul says there ought to be a fathering in the church. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, uh, remember you amen me when we say no to your idea. <laughs> okay, just a thought. All right. I'm glad you laughed and didn't throw tomatoes. All right, so, so the next thing he said, so God gave apostles, and, he, and then he also gave prophets, okay? So he gave prophets. Well, Ken, what does that look like today? I mean, how, how does this look in modern day? When, because if you grew up in church, uh, when, when I say the word prophet, how many get the picture of an old gray-bearded guy? Well, wait, hold on. Um, 
can't use that illustration anymore. All right. Well, well, we'll go with it. With a staff and a robe and a long, like, to his waist beard, you know, ZZ top looking guy. And, and, he, and he's pointing out and saying, thus saith the Lord. How many, that's the picture you get, right? Depending on what kind of church you grew up in. Well, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophet, he was a person who ministered from a place of objectivity to bring, watch this, everyone, to bring accountability. See, I've been in charismatic churches. I grew up in a charismatic church, and prophetic words were the thing, but that was often abused and misapplied and not relevant for where we're at in today's world. Hmm. He, 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 the prophet, watch this, what he did. Well, we're trying to contextualize this. We want to fit this old language and this old gift into a new realization or a new church, right? Or, okay, I shouldn't say new church, but the New Testament church. And, but what the prophet did is he called things like they, they were. He would confront people. <laughs> he, he would confront kings and clergy, yeah, come on, P Patty, I'll speak to you. Me and you only slept two hours, but we're with it. Come on, girl, all right, all right? So he would confront people. You better not be doing that. You better quit going over by that girl's house and then saying you fell into sin. Yeah. So, so he would confront. Mm. I, I'm not all about the confrontation like I've seen in the park. See, confrontation only happens because there's first a father in the house, and if you haven't earned the right to have a father in the house, then you don't have the right to confront. If I don't know you, Tim, you're on the elder board, so we have this relationship, and you have the right to speak into my life and to confront me about things or to bring accountability to me, but that only happens through the avenue of relationship. Come on, are you guys hearing that today? And I would submit that a lot of people underneath all the reasons why, well, I don't like to go to those life groups. You know, I would say that a lot of people that don't really want relationship is because what they really don't want. Oh, you guys are preaching now. Come on. I didn't say it. You said it. It's because what we really don't want is we don't want nobody up in our business. Or as they say in Mississippi, business. Right? Okay? So, right? Okay. And, and so, but all through the scripture, we see Nathan confronted David. David was a king. Elijah confronted Ahab. Ahab was a king. John confronted Herod. Right? So, so it, it was all about accountability. And the intention of the prophet, watch this, it was all about deliverance from the thing, not destruction because of the thing. Not, you're going to hell because you did that, but hey, bro, let me tell you, you ought to reconsider that because here's what the Bible says the end of it is. It's about me, it's about me building roadblocks for you instead of just pushing you on over. Come on. Does that make sense, everyone? It, let me say it another way that you might be more familiar with. It's about finding freedom. Dun, da, da, da. Find, it's about finding freedom. None of us really find freedom without the gift or the anointing of a prophet in our lives. Now, be, I would be very skeptical if somebody came up and said, hey, I just want you to know God has called me to be the prophet in your life. Okay, run, and run fast. <laughs> okay, uh, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt. When, when anybody goes like right into King James, the little spider senses go up in me, all right? Uh, it, but it's about finding freedom. Watch this. It's about growing. 
And none of us grow unless there is the operation of the prophet that keeps us accountable in our lives. And it happens through relationship. And of course, you know this is one of our, part of our vision is to help you not only know God, but also to find freedom. And, and, and one of the things we're doing this fall is we're really up in our game in the area of discipleship. Uh, I've been really happy with where we've gone in the last six months. Jake and Carmen are kind of taking this on and taking it to a whole new level. So when it comes to discipleship, we're, we're going to really break it into two branches now. And uh, Jake's already been doing a lot of this teaching on Wednesday nights. He has a series coming up here on Sunday mornings called Crash Testing Christianity. But it's all about discipleship. It's all about, Matt, you were there, foundations. It's all about apologetics. It's about where did we get the Bible and why do we pray and how do we pray? It's Christianity 101 because how many know even those of us that have been in the church for 20 years, some of us don't know. I I mean, you do, but you know somebody, right? Right? Okay. And so we're breaking into that branch, and we'll do most of those on Wednesday nights or Sunday morning. And then we're going to stick with the whole relationship side where we just gather together so we can make and meet brothers and sisters and mentors and coaches and pastors and apostles and prophets. And again, don't attend the life group if the head of the life group calls himself an apostle or a prophet. All right? Okay. Um, But to be a healthy church, watch this. In fact, put this up here. Without accountability and correction, we don't learn. See, here's here's the frustration as a pastor. People come to hear a guy preach, but that's not what we're after. I mean, I'm glad you come to hear me, but really the life that says I want to be accountable and I'm willing to be corrected, I'm not perfect, but I'm willing to be perfected, Come on, now we're on to something right there. Now we're on to health. See, to be a healthy church, we have to have accountability. Yes, we can have an open circle. We got an open circle. And if you, all you ever hear me say is we have an open circle, you might think that means anything goes. No, one of the gifts to the church is the gift of a prophet, and the prophet says, uh-uh, and the father says, not in this house. The circle's still open. The door to your house is still open, but kids, you can't do anything you want to do. And by the way, majority never rules, right? What about the family that had four kids? I mean, there's two parents and four kids. Then what happens? Candy for dinner every night, right? Okay, everybody? Uh, America's average church attender, watch this, America's average church attender, because of our nation and our culture and the social economics and the breakdown of the family, the average church attender comes to church unfathered and uncorrected. And you can tell pretty quick if we get in relationship because the minute that the fathering gift shows up, they bristle. The minute that a, a correction or accountability or, no, bro, I want you to, if you're going to lead a life group, I want you to sign this covenant with us so we can protect the integrity of what's going on in those living rooms and in those circles. And there's bristling that goes up because the average church attender is unfathered and uncorrected. In other words, let me say it a harsh way just to get your attention. I don't really mean it, okay? Uh, we like to show up, but we don't necessarily want to grow up. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while I'm on that, can I just say something just, I don't know, it's just floating. And if you don't like it, it's my sleep deprivation. If you do, I'll sleep less on Saturday nights from now on. 
It's okay. Let me just be very pastoral and speak to you like we're having coffee for a minute. It's okay to change churches. This church is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Some of you need somebody that would just settle down already. Sit in a stool, wear a cardigan, and teach the Word of God. Okay, that's not me. Okay, you can just quit wasting your time. We can tell you some other churches, but that's not me. I tried it. I broke the stool. I kicked over the table. I just can't do it, all right? And it's okay to change churches. And I understand in our culture, I understand attending more than one church. We have people here that do that. And we'll often say, well, you're my Sunday morning church, but, but this other church is where my youth group church, or this other church is where I get my, uh, this other church, whatever that is. That's okay. I understand. Uh, we're a little bit different generation now than the previous generation that went to one store and one bank and one job all their life. I get it. I understand. But let me pastor. Again, we're just having coffee. You see, when we change churches so easily and when we jump ship so easily, I have to wonder, is it because we're unfathered and unaccountable and we don't want that in our life. Now, it, it could be for other reasons. Those are good ones. But don't ever let it be because someone tried to step in and say, hey, bro, maybe you ought to reconsider. Uh, uh, let me say it another way. Um, um, I, I would also guard against attending multiple churches. And again, I'm not talking about, well, I come to this church for that and I go to that other church for that. That's good. But let me show you how that's tough on a father. Because I don't know if I'm the father or the stepfather. And I don't know what the stepfather said your curfew was. And so you get this little loophole. Well, you know, you're not really my pastor. Okay, great. Let me know that up front, okay? But, but I wonder, watch this. I'm, I'm just pastoring here. I'm just being a father for a minute. When, when, when you go to a different church and you go to 10 of them in a cycle, but, but, and, and you brag on it, and, and you compare them, I have to wonder, where are the roots? Where is the growth? Where is the accountability? Where is the prophet? Where is the apostle in your life if you're never a part of a family or a household that can provide those things? You're a foster kid at best. Okay, I'm done being mean, all right? See, here's what I've learned. I've been in ministry now 37 years, and I'll just tell you some things I've learned. You may disagree. That's okay. You're entitled to be wrong. Okay, so check this out. Just making sure you're still there, and i got to close anyway, so this will be the last. Okay, most people in church don't. Uh, after 37 years of ministry, I'd say most people want a preacher, but they don't want a pastor. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean me, like me, the past. I mean the, the, the room, the atmosphere of accountability. Does that make sense? The ministries that we do, the finding freedom, the discovering purpose, those are all about a, a system that comes in and pastors us in spiritual formation. I hope this ain't too much for you, all right? And we want buddies, but we don't want friends that really know really who we are, um, uh, uh, and and, and I'm, I'm preaching to me too because I have to have relationships in my life that make me accountable. This week while I was gone, my overseers called me, dude, what are you doing? 
how's it going? Are you okay? Are you, gonna, are, are you, are you too tired? One of my elders called me. <laughs> Tim, hey, bro, how you doing? Praying for you. What's going on? All right? Fathers, overseers, accountable. I'm accountable to elders. I'm accountable to overseers. I'm accountable to trustees. And I would say that the unaccountable life is not worth living because we don't grow and we're underfathered and no apostle or prophet in our life. And God said, I gave them to you so you would be stronger. Come on. Are you hearing that today? So watch this. I got to close this. So let me just ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud, but I think it'd be worth contemplating. Who are you allowing to put a demand on your life? You know, that's what dads do. Come on, boy, you can do that. Come on, girl, you can do that. And, And then the prophet comes along and makes you accountable to whether or not you're really trying to do the thing the apostle challenged you to do. Is that making sense? Those things, again, it's not a person in the church. It's a gifting of the church. And if I'm church shopping, I want to make sure that the church I'm a part of has the five-fold ministry gifts operating because those things operating ensure that I'm going to be built up in Christ. Without them, I'm not assured that I'm going to be built up in Christ. I'll give you one illustration, then I have to close. Um, I had a buddy of mine that moved with me to take my first church. He was one of my youth leaders in my previous church where I was a youth pastor. He moved with me, and uh, his goal was to become the full-time youth pastor of our new church there in Detroit. And so it was small when we started. I said, hey, just come along and serve. So, so for about a year, he just served and helped and served and helped. And the whole goal was he was going to be our, our full-time youth pastor. And, and unbeknownst to me, he started dating this girl in our church. No problem with that. We believe in dating. And uh, we believe in marriage. That, that is part of our religion. All right, I just want you to know that. And, and, but unbeknownst to me, now we're buddies. We're friends. Okay, I'm his pastor, been his pastor for four years. He came to me and said, hey, uh, I want to know if you'll do our wedding. And I didn't even know he was dating anybody. And, and he said, I, we're going to get married. And he said, will you do the wedding? Well, long story, I won't get into all the details, but I said, bro, I said, no, let's time out a second. First, I, I don't, I'm not a control freak, but I see some red flags. And I'm your friend. And if I'm your friend, I ought to love you enough Not to just say yes when you want me to say yes, but I ought to love you enough to say all of us have blind spots and a good friend, a good spouse, come on, a good parent, a good coach, a good pastor, hello somebody, will help us recognize, wait a minute dude, you've been down this road like three times and every time you crash and burn, I love you, I'm your friend, I don't want you to crash and burn again, let's hold on. My friend got mad at me because I wouldn't do it. They left, went to the justice of the peace, got married, left the church, had a kid in that first year, and were divorced 13 months later. Now, I'm not saying I know everything, but I think that God works through the fivefold ministry gifts. Of, now, you've got to be careful because there's abuse of those gifts, but they're there for a reason. A life-giving church should be loving, accepting, gracious, and encouraging. But if I love you, I also have to make sure we have systems in place to help us discover our blind spots. One of our systems is life groups. Get in a life group. Start to build friendships. Not perfect, but willing to be perfected. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we call in the church discipleship. 
Yeah, you got saved, but are you on the journey? People love to ask us, ever since we got in this new building, how big is Radius? How many people attend it? And I always try to ignore that question because that's not what marks our success. How many people come here? How many people are there, you know? Well, over a 1,000 people call Radius their church now. That's wonderful. But not over a 1,000 people are being pastored in the church. Come on. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, it's not about how many people call it their church. It's about how many people are in the church and allowing the fivefold ministry gifts of the church to be activated in their life. That's called discipleship. And, and it's about being on the journey. We want you on the journey. We don't count how many show up. We count how many are growing up. And you grow up by being involved in the journey and who's on the journey, all right? Uh, I'm going to close right there. We'll pick up next week with the evangelist and the teacher and the pastor, but I'm out of time. I'm glad you came to church on this day. Would you stand with me all over this place?